Welcome to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I am passionate about helping women just like you embrace your true self so you can show up confidently in your life. Join me as we talk about overcoming limiting beliefs, reshaping what health and wellness really look like, and take steps to becoming captivatingly confident. With all that said, let's go to the show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. I am so excited to bring you my special guest for today is Miss Amy, and I'm going to have her pronounce her last name for you because I don't want to butcher it completely, but Amy is the founder and head chef for Healthy Foods for Busy Families. She also is the voice behind the podcast, A Very Full Plate which you can find on iTunes, and she is also a fellow boy mom and has two boys and is running this business. She is an incredible powerhouse, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Amy, welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Kim. I'm really excited to be here, and no worries about the last name thing. It's a tricky (laughs) one, so I just go with Vig. Um, professionally, which is my last name married is Jasmagian. So you could see why I avoid that one. So Vig is good over here. Oh, perfect. I would have butchered butchered that so badly. So be the only one. <laughs> I love it. Love it. So, okay, Amy, we're just going to jump right in. Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you started doing it. Okay, that's that's a good question, a very <laughs> multifaceted question. Right? Um, Do you like how I just pushed you into the deep end? I'm like, and ready, set, go. We've got a half an hour. We're going to do this thing. 100%. So uh, my journey to becoming a natural food chef, which is a kind of how I encompass all of the work that I do now, was a little bit of a funny one in that I didn't start out cooking. Like I didn't really learn to cook growing up. And I certainly didn't go to college thinking that I would ever do anything in the culinary space. So when I went to I went to UC Berkeley, and when I got there, I was like, I'm going to be a sports medicine doctor. And <laughs> I, I, I did enjoy that. Like I enjoyed the proximity to people who are really excellent athletes, which I've never been. And I liked the <laughs> health tie-in of it. But it turns out, that I don't like science very much. So organic chemistry came and I was like, you know, I think this isn't for me after all. So I Mm. ended up studying organizational behavior. So it was kind of the combination of psychology and sociology and business. And I really enjoyed that. I started my career as a business consultant with Deloitte in San Francisco. And I, I loved the work that I was doing. But I think like a lot of people, I... I wasn't finding as much meaning in it as I realized I really Mm. wanted from something Mm -hmm. I spent so much time on. On the same track as doing that, I was also going through this personal health struggle, which was I was having extremely strong stomach pains pretty much on a daily basis to the extent that I would get home from work and basically lie in bed. And my doctor was like, okay, well, um, let's do a colonoscopy and endoscopy. So I'm 23. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 50-year-olds get done. (laughs) And I I come out from anesthesia and they're like, oh, no, we didn't find anything. So sorry. And 
you know, I think people who have been through something like this themselves will identify with my feeling of just wanting an answer. Like I was actually hoping something was wrong so that they could solve it and I could move on with my life. Yeah, totally. When that didn't happen and the doctor was sort of like, we've done our job, bye, I went on this alternate path of figuring out what was going on. That journey looked pretty winding and up and down. And ultimately, what helped me to regain control of my health and the way that I felt was by doing a pretty intensive elimination diet, where I was basically testing on my own what different foods work for my body just by taking them out and then putting them back in. It's highly not that sexy. (laughs) It's so true. And through that process, I found what worked for my body. But what I also found out was that in order to control my own health, in order to know what went into my food, I had to also know how to make my food. Yeah. And I found out I actually loved that. So long story Mm. short, I went to a natural foods culinary program. The universe provided. I had no idea what I was going to do. I started doing personal chef work. I was a trainer for Whole Foods for six years, teaching both customers and team members about healthy eating. And then I became a parent and I was like, wow, I have never been so busy. I have never had such a premium on my time is maybe a better way of saying that in my whole entire Mm -hmm. life. And there are millions of parents out there who are having this sort of awakening in that food is more important than ever because you're feeding these tiny beings who you love so much and you just want to nourish them. Yeah. And yet they maybe didn't ever learn the skills to actually feed their family and feel good about feeding their family. And so that's the work that I do now is I say I help people feel good about feeding their families in many different ways, kind of from a mindset perspective, from a knowledge perspective, and then from just like a technical skills perspective. Like how do you actually get dinner on the table when you have an 18-month-old you know, just hypothetically, this never happens in my life, of course, (laughs) who wants to be held while you're trying to chop something and you have a four-year-old who really wants your attention at the same time. Right. (laughs) This is so huge. I feel like this is probably one of the biggest problems that's voiced in the community is just a real disconnect between being able to provide healthy foods and finding the time to do that, mm-hmm. especially if you have multiple kids. I mean, I'm a little bit lucky. I have a four-year-old who's pretty self-sufficient. And so for me, cooking has been a little bit easier. But for moms of multiples or even moms that work and have one kid, it's so challenging. It's so challenging. So what does your – so like in your profession, like what do you – what are some of the tips that you use or what are some of the strategies that you employ to help moms? Mm, that's a really good question. First of all, is that okay to ask? One million percent. I'm like, yeah. can we get some tips? I just don't want to <laughs> avoid acknowledging something really important that you said, which is, you know, you have it kind of easy because you have a four-year-old and yes, like four-year-olds are easier to cook with than 18-month-olds. But we all as parents have challenges. I mean, you have things that you need to take care of and lunches need to be made and kids need to be taken places and you might just be getting home from work. And 
I feel like the other tricky piece is like everything in parenting, it's always changing. Like your four-year-old <sighs> will soon have sports <laughs> and not to like make you feel bad about what's coming, but then that's another challenge, right? And so that's why I'm particularly passionate about helping parents because yeah. in all of the ebbs and flows, similar strategies can serve us. And that goes to your question or like, what are some of the tips that I share? I think the first thing that I always like to share with people is it is our job as parents to get really clear on what's important to us when it comes to our family. And that's a much bigger mm. tip than it has to do with food, but it also has everything to do with food. So yeah. I don't know about you, Kim, but for me, like I feel like there are so many shoulds as a parent, like so many oh things I gosh. should be doing. <laughs> And food is no exception to that. Like everyone will make you feel bad about the choices you make. If you feed your kids dino chicken nuggets or if you feed them organic yogurt, like there's something wrong with all of it. Yes. It's like you can't win sometimes. You certainly can't win as a parent. And I've learned this the hard way because I've experienced it myself. You can't win by trying to please other people. So you can only do what feels good for your family. And the the whole reason I've honed in on this word feel good about feeding your family is because it really is your job to say like, all right, what is good? What does good look like for our family? What Mm -hmm. does acceptable look like for our family? And what is just like, what are the things that I'm actually not going to do? Like those things feel yucky to me. Hmm. And and that's true when you're feeding your family too, right? So like you don't need to be gluten-free, organic, free-range, pesticide-free family to be healthy. Right. What you do need to know is what makes you and your family feel good physically and also feel good like you are doing the work to nourish yourselves, right? Mm. And so for Mm -hmm. us, for my family, that looks like whole, real, and unprocessed. And this is an exercise that I actually go through with folks in my membership group, which is defining the three words that are kind of the fallback for the way that your family eats. And I would encourage anyone (sighs) listening to go through that exercise as well. You can pick any word you want. Maybe it's easy, fast, and green, right? Like there's no wrong answers. But if you have those three words, then that becomes your touchstone to say, all right, in an ideal world on the most magical night, we're going to eat fully um, real, whole, and unprocessed. On nights where we're really scrambling, we'll eat like whole food, but you know, I might not make it all from scratch and that's cool. And I'm going to try really hard not to make frozen meals or drive through a staple in my family. Not because they're wrong, but because that's what my spectrum looks like, right? Wow. Yes. I feel it. Sorry, I'm taking notes. I feel like you just like gave us 50 tips in one tip. I love the idea of boiling it down to a couple of words and having that be like your, I think you said touchstone. And something that you always fall back on, not something that's like the standard always and forever, but like the goal that you're setting for your family. I love that. And I love the way you said it. It's like, it's just a goal, right? Which doesn't mean that when you don't reach it, you're wrong. It means it's the thing that you're reaching for, right? And the thing that you're working towards. And then I would say my second tip, because that did involve a lot of tips, so I won't bog you down with everything (laughs) that lives in my brain. Um, I want it all. Are you kidding me? Okay, for the next... 25 hours. We'll sit here. <laughs> keep talking. Talking is Perfect. my jam. And talking and cooking. If I can do both at the same time, then I'm super happy. Um, 
So my second tip would be once you have identified that for your family is to stop making it so freaking hard. Yes. And the way that I do that looks like this. I um, make a really simple meal plan at the beginning of the week that includes sometimes a new recipe, usually a new recipe I'm developing, but for most people, they won't identify with that. So if you want to pick like one new recipe from Pinterest that looks really great, cool. Mm -hmm. Others are going to be like staples that I know my family will eat and enjoy, which by the way, is sometimes like brown rice pasta with jarred tomato sauce and frozen vegetables. This is not complex stuff. And I think like often we get this vision from social media that every meal needs to be gourmet. And that's just, I'm a chef and that is just not our reality. And if you're trying right? to make it your reality, that's probably why you're going crazy trying to feed your family. Yes. Yes. Like plating everything oh and making goodness. sure it's colorful and that it's, you know, well presented and, you know, that it tastes amazing. And I think one of the things that I kind of, in my small group coaching do is kind of reemphasize the fact that not every meal has to be extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be, like you said, gourmet. It doesn't have to taste like the best thing ever. Sometimes you're going to have meals that don't taste so good. Like sometimes you burn something or sometimes your rice is undercooked or your pasta is kind of al dente and not how you want it to be. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. And or, it doesn't have to be perfect. Or they taste really good, but they're super basic. Like I wouldn't serve them to company because it's just roasted chicken apple sausage from Costco with some cauliflower on a sheet pan, right? There's oh my gosh, I love those. Fancy about it, but it tastes super delicious. Yeah, sheet pan meals are where it's at. Um, and the other piece of that would be, I think that social media, and not to like bag on social media, it's just a highlight reel, right? But you mm -hmm. see these, like I scroll through and I'm like, oh, look at that beautiful, like color-coded fridge on Pinterest. <laughs> and oh, I could meal prep every single dingle meal at the beginning of the week. But listen, I've tried that and I've actually like written plans for that. And what I realized oh. is as busy parents, we don't have I'll speak for myself. I don't have even two hours at the beginning of the week, even if I could get everything done in that, which I can't. And, mm -hmm. and so I've really simplified meal prep in my life, which looks like, okay, what are the things that take a really long time that I'm not going to have time to do on a weeknight if we're rushing from one thing to the next? So that might be roasting some sweet potatoes. So I'll do that and I'll bake some healthier muffins and I will make mason jar salads for my lunches at the beginning of the week. That takes less than an hour hands-on time and I'm already cleaned up at the end. And then on a weeknight, I can stuff those sweet potatoes with like mix the inside with a little bit of yogurt and put black beans and cheese and some cilantro on top or some salsa. I'm just trying to think of ideas. And then I'll eat my mason jar salads and I'll serve my kids muffins with fruit. And now we have like at least three meals sorted from that small amount of time. Plus I know and I've shopped for all the other things. And I think that feels a lot more possible then the idea that we're going to like prep and individually package every single meal at the beginning of the week, even if you don't have to think about food the rest of the week, it's like you just have to be realistic. Right? Yeah. And meal planning, I think it's it's nice to look at, like you said, the color-coded, you know, like we're having this recipe here and this recipe here. But it, I think there's not an accurate understanding of how much time and energy that takes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, frog in my throat. Okay. So 
I want to, I love these tips that you've given us. These are incredible. I can't wait to put these in the notes. I want to kind of steer the conversation back to something that you had talked about earlier, and that is how you figured out what foods worked for you. So you talked about doing a really strict elimination diet and then moving from that into figuring out, okay, well, these foods make me feel good. These ones work with my body. Can you talk us through like that process, what that looked like for you and maybe how other people can do that too? Yeah, 100%. So I will first give the disclaimer, I'm not a dietitian or nutritionist. I like specifically am someone who makes delicious recipes in the kitchen, right? So this experience is my own and also something I've used with my kids and I've talked friends through using with their kids. So I do think the proof is in the pudding with this. Similarly to how I wanted an answer when I got my colonoscopy and endoscopy, I've also done, by the way, food allergy testing. And similarly, I was like, oh man, this is going to be amazing because they're going to tell me what I've been eating that doesn't make me feel good. And then I'll just have an answer and I won't eat that anymore. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's not that simple. Like in retrospect, of course, it's not. But it's so funny because I was sure that it was going to show me that I was allergic to gluten and corn and soy, like all the things that are on the top eight, like they are valid things that people are allergic to. And the only thing that came back on my food sensitivity test was banana. No, stop. Are you kidding me? Seriously? (laughs) And so what I like to remind people is that there's no magic bullet answer to finding out what makes you feel good in that no test can say, Kim, these are the foods that make you feel super energized and not sluggish. Now, they might tell you, hey, listen, you've been eating brown rice every day of your life and it's not actually serving you and that's cool. So it it can serve as a starting point. But Mm -hmm. from beyond there – it's really up to us to do the work of figuring out what makes us feel good in in basically yes. all of life, but related to food too. And I I often find that so much of my thoughts around food are more universally applicable than to the food itself. And I think there's something to uncover there. But <laughs> but let's stick with the food <laughs> for today because that's my expertise. Is like love it. So the work that I did, I specifically went on a candida cleanse. So I felt like I had like an overgrowth of bacteria. I was getting pretty chronic yeast infections. Um, mm. I didn't feel like I could digest really well. And I will say, I was working with a chiropractor who was helping me through some of these things as well. So where you feel mm. like you can't figure things out yourself, there are professionals who can support you in figuring out like what also maybe complementary supplements could go along with things. But I think Mm -hmm. like before you get to the point of working with someone, you can do the work yourself, which is the starting point would be don't change anything and just keep a food diary. And I know that sounds really boring, but (laughs) what it looks like, and this is what, this is a lesson of what I wish I had done instead of what I actually did, which was I started eliminating everything. And I think I could have found out a lot by just writing down, like I had a Diet Coke today. Yes, I drank Diet Cokes at the time I was going through this process. And I think I would have found out that Diet Coke really didn't make me feel good. Also, Mm. um, I've since realized that like coffee that's brewed um, in like a typical coffee machine is really acidic and it's too acidic for my system. And so now I drink more like espresso type drinks. And it was only through elimination that I really realized that I felt a big difference in those things, which is like a funny thing you might not think of, but 
actually makes a lot of sense when you start looking into the different acidity levels of the different drinks and all of that. Um, I also found out that like gluten didn't feel very good to me. And I went on a gluten-free diet for five years. And you know what? I felt amazing. I felt so Mm. good on it. And then as life goes, I had kids and my system changed again. And you know what? Now I can handle gluten pretty well. I try to eat almost entirely whole grains in my diet. I don't have it every day, but my body can handle it. And I think that's the other thing I would tell people is, okay, first start out with your food journal and see if there's anything you can identify right off the bat that like, I don't feel good after I eat this thing. Then I would go into more of like an elimination diet. And honestly, you can Google elimination diet and get all kinds of better guidelines than I'll give you here today verbally. But I would suggest that you start with like the most common things that irritate people. And again, you can find a list of those and basically cut them out for a period of time and then start adding things back in gradually and similarly noting, okay, how did I feel after I started eating this for three days? Oh, turns out when I have dairy, I don't feel so good. Yeah. I'll I'll try, try not having dairy for a while. And then you could test it again and be like, well, would yogurt work better than maybe whole milk? Okay. Like maybe that works for my system because there's no answer for everyone, right? Just because one thing doesn't work for you doesn't mean all the things in that category also don't work. You just have to go through the steps to find out what individually works for you. And then um, and then you can get into more of the nuances after that if you're not getting answers. But I suspect that if you do the first work of keeping a journal, and this is true for your kids too. Like I have friends who are like, my kid doesn't poop for two weeks at a time. And I'm like, okay, write down what you're feeding them and notice when they get constipated, right? And then mm-hmm. um, and then almost all of them, I found this for my son as well. It's when they have dairy, especially when their systems are small, um, yeah. that they have trouble processing it, right? So And I'll be like, okay, try for just a week, just try giving no dairy, right? Just cut it out and see what happens. And all you're going to find out is like, if if they're better, then you have a pretty clear answer. And if they're not better, then on to the next thing, right? But so often, I think we have this emotional attachment to food that we get caught up in. And it's like, Mm. oh, no, I can't find out that I need to be gluten-free because then I'll never eat gluten again and I'll never have my mom's famous mac and cheese and what will I do? And the answer is like nothing nothing in this life sticks forever and you are an adult, you are a person who gets to make your own decisions. So I think there's a lot of power in just knowing what works for you even if you don't always stick to that 100%. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, that's actually something that my husband really struggled with over the last few years. When he has gluten, he snores like a lumberjack. Interesting. Like crazy. And we've tested this hypothesis a dozen times over the years. And he will go gluten free for like a week and stop snoring. And then I can always tell when he's had gluten because he will snore so bad. And I'll be like, so what did you have for lunch yesterday? And he's like, oh, how did you know? And I'm like, because, bae, you were snoring so loud. And his thing has been that if I really can't tolerate gluten, I'm going to be missing out. Mm-hmm. And he has huge FOMO of missing out on pizza burgers and his mom's stuffing at Thanksgiving and all of the yummy foods that he enjoys, he feels like he's going to be missing out. So I think that's a 
a real problem for a lot of people. And do you do you have any advice that you would give? I mean, I know what I would say, but I'm curious what you would say to somebody that's maybe thinking, I don't know if I can do this, and they're struggling with some some real FOMO too. I, I'm so curious what your advice b- would be, but mine <laughs> would be like like so many things in life, like this too shall pass, right? So like you try it and you feel so much better, the, then you're going to be motivated to stick with it most of the time. Mm-hmm. And by the way, so few things in this food world are like, unless you are having a severe allergic reaction, in which case, please avoid the food by all means and don't listen to any mm-hmm. of my advice, like listen to your doctor. <laughs> um, but if, you, if it's if we're not talking like food allergy where you're going into anaphylaxis, then there are a lot of gray areas and you get to decide what's worth it to you or not. Like if he doesn't care about snoring and you don't care about his snoring, then like that's fine. There is still power into knowing what works for you. And then if he were to say, start having severe stomach pains, like what I had, then he could pull back on it. Right. And also like, it doesn't mean you never get to have it again. It means take a break for a while, see how you feel. If it's not worth it, then keep eating it. Totally. Yeah. And I think he got to the place where, you know, the snoring was, is, becoming a real issue in our marriage mm-hmm. <laughs> and to the point where it was like we were sleeping in separate rooms and I'm like I can't do this like I don't this isn't working for me anymore and so finally he started small yeah. and you know he swapped beer for cider and then he started doing gluten-free buns instead of the regular buns and slowly but surely he's been just one small step at a time, one small meal at a time, swapping out things. And that's been huge. And I think the thing that I would say is that it's all about choices, right? Yes. And you can choose, you know, to – and it's every meal is a choice. So you make bajillions of choices over the course of your lifetime when it comes to food. And going kind of along with what you said about, like, this too shall pass. Like, it doesn't mean that you can't ever have – X food again, but you're choosing to really pay attention to how that food affects you. And you can choose to say, you know what? I'm going to eat this food. I'm going to be present while I eat it. I'm going to enjoy it. And then if I feel like crap afterward, I'm going to pay attention to that and use that feeling and experience for my next time when I'm in that same situation and remember how I felt. And then choose accordingly. Like I can choose to go down that path that I know how I'll end up feeling, or I can choose differently Mm -hmm. and have a new experience. Yes. I love how you said that. And it is all about choice. And and isn't all of our life about making choices, right? Like it's funny. (laughs) I had a conversation or actually my co-host had a conversation with a woman on our podcast who doesn't ever cook for her family. And she talked about how they like work on eating healthy while eating out every night. And I thought like, this is so fascinating because it's not the choice Mm. I would make, but that doesn't mean it's the wrong choice. It's just a choice, right? And you make concessions and you make decisions. And as, as parents and as adults, we are constantly making choices, right? So I love the idea of it being a choice that you consciously make. And I've never thought about it this way, but you're making me think I've always called like eating treats, what I call as treats, which are like in quotation marks. I talk about it as an intentional (laughs) indulgence where it's like, I made this choice really intentionally. I decided 
that I love this chocolate chip cookie from the store up the street, which is true. This is a true story. And I, <laughs> I chose to have it versus that feeling when you like wake up with your hand in a bag of Halloween candy and you're like, what is even happening to my life right now? How did I eat 30 yeah. pieces of it? And isn't that a different experience? And the way we treat ourselves as a result of it, isn't that different when we've been like, I love this thing so much and it's totally worth it to have it. Like this is a choice versus like I let my brain guide me and now here I am and dealing with the consequences of something that was kind of not even a choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like and even, you know, in intuitively eating and mm-hmm. honoring like the cravings that you do have, like sometimes like dairy and gluten do not work for me at all. I have a similar story to you that I had SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Mm-hmm. And the I did a similar diet where it's actually even worse than the candida diet. It's like the candida diet on steroids. Oh, like you I can can't basically anything more than the candida diet. It was honestly torturous. <laughs> right? And I would not recommend no. that for anybody. So I love how your approach is like just one, you know, don't even take anything out yet. Just pay attention to what you're currently eating and start from there. But when you have, you know, bacterial issues, like you have to do yes. the extreme, you have to go that route. And it's it's so hard to, you know, reintroduce things one at a time if you can't, you know, if you have that pain. But every now and then I will have pizza. And it's a craving that I have and I honor it. And rather than making a cauliflower crust, mm-hmm. like nutritional yeast, cheese, pizza, which I used to do and be like, this tastes great. <laughs> it's so good. And my husband's like, this is not pizza. And I'm like, but it is because I can't eat the other it's stuff. It's round. It has a Right? <laughs> if you could get it round. Mine was always kind of like oblong, like totally. weird shapes. But it was, it was again, from that place of choice of like, I can't have these things. And switching the language and the verbiage from can't to choosing mm-hmm. was a huge shift for me and a big, like just momentous shift almost because it, was, it went from being like defeating and negative and like, oh, you know, I, I can't have pizza, but it smells so good and it looks so good to – I'm going to choose to have a small amount of this staying present, eating that, and going forward. And again, using experience as a teacher. So I just, I love that idea of just like small steps and being present and honoring cravings rather than trying to make something else, right? Because it's like you said, like if I'm saying I can't have the cookie, I end up with my hand in a bag of candy instead. Right. It's like, oh, this will be a substitute and it's like not any healthier and now I've gone crazy on it and, you know, it's it's not serving me in any way and I still want the cookie at the end. Like I can't yes. feel that way, right? <laughs> like, no. And that's this <laughs> – it's so the truth. It, the substitute rarely tastes as good and feels as good as the real thing. So instead of just like trying to find like what I used to do, healthy alternatives for the sweets cravings that I would have, like baking these cookies that tasted like cardboard because they were, quote, healthier. Yeah. Instead, the healthier option for me now, because I've 
gone through all of this work is to just have some of the cookie. Did you and feel satisfied? 100% because did you ever find like I was talking to my husband about this the other day that sometimes I'll also eat an entire batch of healthy cookies cuz I'm like, "Oh, this is a healthy <sighs> cookie." So even if I'm not like substituting, it's still a quote-unquote dangerous thing for me to have in my house because now I'm like trying to make it something it's not, and then I'm enjoying it like it's not something it is. <laughs> yes. You know, that doesn't serve my goals of feeling good in my body as I move about the earth, like eating a batch of any kind of cookies, right? And and yeah. I think that there's like there's some mental thing there too. And I'm also just like more and more conscientious every day of how I interact with food around my kids. Yes. And I feel like oh really my gosh. I feel like that is an entire episode by itself, maybe a whole series. Please, please do it. I will listen and learn. No, I'm saying we should do it together. <laughs> I would love to flesh out because I think that's another, you know, hot button right now is how do we model healthy relationship with food in front of our kids? And what does that even look like? How do we do that? And it starts, I think, with your own relationship with food. And if that isn't, you know, in alignment with what you're talking about, then you're not going to be able to do that for your kids. And so it starts with you. And I would love to pick your brain about that on another episode if you're up for it. Oh my it. gosh, I would love that. I'd love to just chit chat on it because I certainly don't have the answers, but I have a lot that I'm currently and constantly mulling over, especially as people come and they're like, I want to feed my family this way. And it's usually some fad, restrictive thing. And I feel really fortunate to have found a tribe of mostly moms, let's be honest. I try to say parents, but like <laughs> it's almost all entirely moms who <laughs> who really do are like on the bandwagon of like whole, real, more vegetables, but like not super strict. But I see people all the time who are like, what about keto and what about low carb and what about paleo? And none of yeah. none of those things in and of itself is wrong, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I think we underestimate how the way that we interact with and talk about food around our family and the choices that we impose upon our kids, because let's be honest, a lot of it is imposition, how it might influence Mm -hmm. them in the long run. And to your point, it's not a conversation we can have here today, but I I just want to put it out there as like a nugget of like, I think this is something we should all be thinking about as we make our choices. Totally. I could not agree more. And we are definitely going to put that one on the books for sure. So Amy, tell people really quick, I'm going to include it in the show notes, but let people know where they can find you on social media. Yeah. So you will find me talking about a bunch of this stuff on a daily basis at my Facebook page, Healthy Food for Busy Families. And you can also, if you want to like follow along more with like the personal side of things, like what what am I actually buying at the grocery store and what am I making for dinner on a daily basis, if that kind of thing interests you, then I am um, cooking with a full plate on Instagram. I'm trying to share there more and more. So if people follow me, then I'll be more motivated to keep it going. And, Do it. And my website is the same, cookingwithafullplate.com. And there you will find more like recipes and also long form articles on things related specifically to 
cooking. So like, what are ways we can get more efficient in the kitchen? What's my favorite way to meal plan? Um, you know, how do you cook a turkey safely is on my brain right now. <laughs> so it's it's a little mix of like feeding your family, but also nerdy things that you ought to know if you want the food that you feed your family to actually be safe and healthy. Oh, I love it. I love it. And you also have the podcast. And is that oh, just on iTunes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I believe it, it's on anywhere that like the iTunes feed goes. I was actually just looking this morning at putting it on Spotify. So it's a little bit all over. It's called A Very Full Plate. And I'm super excited because in the new year, we're going to be doing a series called So You Wanna, which is all all focused around parenting and health-focused New Year's resolutions. And Kim is going to be our esteemed guest to talk about so you want to feel more confident. And I know I can't wait for that conversation because it's something I feel super interested in exploring more for myself. But I know so many moms in particular want that for themselves. So I can't wait for us to talk about that on my podcast. Oh my gosh, me too. It's going to be so fun. (laughs) I'm pumped. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. We appreciate it and cannot wait to chat with you again. It's my pleasure and I can't wait to chat with you. Take care, Kim. You too. 